0: It is good to be together. While you're getting seated there, I wanna invite you to pull out your Bible. Open with me to chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel. Very special welcome to all of you new folks, guests, visitors. I'm gonna start today a little different. I'm gonna start with a promise. And it's not a promise from me, it's a promise from God. And I know this is God's promise to you because it comes directly from the text we're about to study. So what I'm about to say, I want you to know you can, receive every single word of this promise and I want you to believe every single word of this promise. And it goes like this. If you begin to pray the way that Jesus prayed when he faced his greatest trial, you will make it through your own. I promise you. Okay. Do you receive that promise? Talk back to me, okay, do you receive that promise? If you begin to pray the way Jesus prayed in the face of his greatest trial, you will make it through your own. So this morning we leave the upper room and we follow Jesus outside and he's gonna walk outside. He's gonna leave the gates of ancient Jerusalem. He's gonna cross the Kidron Valley. And he's going to ascend the slopes of the Mount of Olives where he will enter into the greatest ordeal of human temptation and trial that the world has ever known. To the point where blood seeps out of the pores of his forehead and drops to the ground. And so I feel as though the text we're about to study, it's so sacred and so holy, I I feel a little bit like Moses, like we should take off our feet. It's like we're on holy ground here. And here's the thing I want to say to you, and this is the good news. No matter what your trial is, and I know for some of you, some of them are, are very hard, you'll never have to face anything like what Jesus faced. So be encouraged, be encouraged. He made it through and so can you. I love my wife, Kathy, she's a truth teller. And over the last nine months or so, I've had some hard days and there was a couple moments where I would go home and, and I would wonder, I don't even know if I'm gonna make it through all this. You know, and in general, she was very empathetic very sympathetic, and she would listen. But there came a moment where I was particularly droopy and and, and self pitied, and I was talking about how hard things were, and and she said, Adam, look at me. She said, I love you, which is usually the lead into something she's gonna say that's really hard. (laughs) I love you, all right? And basically what she said, these were not her words, but she basically said, pull up your big boy pants, all right? And she said, Adam, if this is the hardest thing you ever go through in your life, your life is pretty good. I was like, thank you for that, Kat. And she was like, Jesus sweat blood in the garden. No, she didn't say that, but she probably could have, <laughs> right? Now, some of you are, are in, a, in the middle of a really, really hard trial. But you can make it. And the way you make it is to follow the example of your leader, specifically how he prayed. So you say, well, how did Jesus pray? I'm so glad you asked. Let's read Luke 22, Okay. Verse 47, here's what happened. He came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. A stone's throw, just really quick, far enough away where he's alone, what Jesus is gonna suffer, he has to suffer alone, but close enough that his disciples can see what's happening and probably even hear A stone's throw. And here's what he prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, his moment of greatest agony, and there's no way to articulate the agony that Christ experienced. Even in that moment, he always had one eye on his disciples. Isn't that amazing? Always teaching, always loving, always instructing, suffering personally, oh, untold suffering, and yet modeling and leading and teaching And two times he says to his disciples, like bookends to this account, right at the beginning and right at the end, as you notice the repetition, look what he says to them. Right there, verse 40, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he went into his own temptation and modeled the kind of prayer that he was talking about. A temptation, the, the word here in the Greek means an ordeal that is so severe that if you lose the battle, you'll fall away. And some of you are there. A trial or, or temptation to, to go in a direction that you know God would not have you go, and you're in it. And Jesus says, you've got two choices. Either pray or you'll enter in all the way in. Amazing. Jesus is saying, don't get caught prayerless. Do not, what you don't want is you don't want that temptation to hit your life and you're not ready. You're not prepared. So in, in essence, Jesus says, the prayer part of this should be happening in your life all the time so that you're prepared. I don't ever like walking into anything unprepared. All right. How about you? You know those dreams you have where you show up to stuff unprepared? In college, it was like it was like you walk into class and there's a test that you were supposed to know about, right? Do you wanna know what that nightmare is in my life? It's this moment, <laughs> right here. I stand, I'm, I'm in my dream. I, I step to the pulpit and there's no iPad, okay? There's nothing. And I'm like, I'm looking at it all of you and you're looking at me and I'm like, I'm not prepared, right? Do you ever have that dream? Jesus says, You don't don't want that moment to hit your life and you've not been praying. So how did Jesus pray? Couple things. Number one, Jesus prayed honestly. He trusted the father with his deepest human emotions and desires. Father, look at verse 42, father, if you're willing, Would you take this cup from me? Can you just try to imagine for a moment what it was like for the disciples to witness this moment? It's almost like, I gotta take you to the garden. You have to be there. They follow him to the Mount of Olives. He tells them to sit down. He says, pray that you do not enter into temptation. And then he leaves them and and they see him walk away about a stone's throw. So they can still see him and they can still hear him. And then look what happens. Luke tells us he falls to his knees. The thing you have to realize is that this was not the way that a dignified, pious believer would pray in Jesus' day. When you were dignified and you were pious, you would pray standing with your eyes open, looking to heaven. So this was a different moment. This was not pious prayer, this was not composed prayer. This was not someone trying to look spiritual or put together. This is fall apart, fall on your knees. Matthew even tells us he fell on his face with his face in the soil. This is is broken prayer. This is let go of all sense of composure prayer. This is the praying version of the ugly cry, okay? You know the ugly cry? where you stop trying to wipe the tears away and the snot's coming down your nose and it's just ugly. And this is that moment and it's beautiful. Have you ever experienced it? I hope so. The disciples knew what Jesus meant by the cup. Okay, this was a very familiar Old Testament metaphor. The cup, it was a symbol of judgment. It was a symbol of intense suffering as the wrath of God is poured out and someone drinks it in fully. And imagine what it would have been like for them to sit there and watch their leader who they know is divine son of God fall to his knees and in a moment of striking honesty, say, Father, if you're willing... Would you take this cup from me? The request brings the reader right into the heart of one of the great mysteries of the Bible, the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus Christ. Fully God, yes, and as Christians, we know this. Fully God, but also, now wait a minute, fully human. In his divinity, he knew every detail of the suffering that was in front of him, every single detail of what he would experience. He knew it. And yet, in his humanity, he was struggling. He was, he was, he was waiting with, with horror at what would happen to him. In his flesh, even longing that he might not have to go through it. amazing. And the beautiful thing is that he had the kind of relationship with his father, where he could pray honestly about these things. And brothers and sisters, so do you. So do you. On Thursday, Bridget and I, my senior in high school, we had a daddy daughter date which we do regularly. And usually it involves her making me take her to Chick-fil-A, which we did on Thursday. We're driving out to Chick-fil-A and we were talking about everything from Justin Bieber to, you know, whatever we talk about. And then there was this moment where Bridget said, so dad, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I was like, thank you because I know this conversation is going right back to Justin Bieber in like two minutes. So I'll take every, every second I can get. And we have this conversation about Jesus in the garden and the sacredness of it. And Bridget, she said to me, she said, I just have a feeling that as most Christians, we don't even really know what prayer is. I was like, what do you mean by that, Bridget? She's like, if we knew what prayer really is, we would be praying all the time. All the time. Because prayer is this sacred invitation into the presence of the creator God where you can be totally honest. You don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend that you're put together. You should not pretend that you're put together. God can take it. And I have a feeling many of us, we don't even realize the privilege we have. So Jesus said, watch me. You can be honest. That's number one. Here's number two. Jesus prayed submissively. He prayed honestly, but he also prayed submissively, opening himself up to the will of God for his life. Verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, look at this, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's there's a certain kind of a posture that sets truly Christian prayer, truly Christ-like prayer, apart from other kinds of prayer in our world. People all over the world pray, but there's, there's a posture that Christ modeled, that makes Christian prayer vastly different. And I fear that very few people pray with this posture. I'm talking of course about that posture that comes to the moment of prayer. Imagine there you are and you've entered that moment of prayer. It's a posture that says, my, one of my primary goals in this moment is to discover God's will and then submit to it. So I'm not talking about a physical posture, of course. I'm talking about a spiritual posture. It's that posture where you understand the the purpose of this moment is not for, for me to reveal my will to God, okay? The purpose of this moment is for God to reveal his will to me. The Lord's Prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done. Or how about First John five fourteen and 15, which I'll put on the screen. Look at this. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. So true biblical prayer, Christ-like prayer, begins and ends with a desire to discern God's will and then align my life to it. And friends, this is different. It's a different kind of praying. And in that moment of pr- prayer, is like that opportunity where you can open the window and dis- and. as you have time and and with the Bible open as you're praying you can actually begin to discern God's will for your life and for the world it's a pleasure and so I want to ask you when you pray is that the posture that you bring to that moment do you come into that moment with that posture I love this I talk to a lot of Christians who struggle with the idea of the sovereign will of God and then prayer. I want you to think about this for just a minute. And the the conundrum, it's sort of like a philosophical or for, for many, it feels like a logical conflict. If God is sovereign, if God has a divine will, what's the purpose of prayer? Isn't God just going to accomplish his will regardless? And for some, not all, but for some, that's actually, it's it stunts. Their, they think, isn't prayer just sort of a futile exercise? I've thought so much about that, you know, over the years. I've really thought about it. And you know what's really interesting about that conundrum? What always happens to me is that I always come out on the other, on the opposite side. And I realize the true conundrum is if God is not sovereign, we would never pray to him. Now think about this for a minute. If I, had a, if I even had a slight suspicion that God was not sovereign, I wouldn't waste a moment praying because he wouldn't have the power to accomplish anything anyway. So it's not God's sovereignty that makes prayer futile. It would be the absence of God's sovereignty that would make prayer futile. And you can take that to the bank, friends. You can come into the presence of the living God, and you should, and fall on your knees and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes God's will requires a more difficult path for your life in the short run. but it will always be the best overall path in the long run, okay? I'm gonna say that again. Sometimes God's will will require a more difficult path in the short run. You'll struggle and you realize, Lord, okay, this feels really difficult. Imagine if Christ had taken the easy path in the short run. Think of the eternal spiritual salvation blessings that would have been avoided in the long run. And so Jesus said, pray honestly. Yes, definitely pray honestly, but also pray submissively. Come into that moment with that posture. So significant. There's one last thing I want to say here and then we're going to move on. God always answers every prayer, okay? He always answers every prayer. It's just that sometimes we don't get the answer we most want, right? I want you to just really quick look at your Bible. Verse 43 is the answer to the prayer in verse 42. The prayer in verse 42 was, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me, not my will, but yours be done. And in verse 43, God answers. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Isn't that interesting? The answer was an angel. The cup will not be removed, but divine strength will be added. I love this. Sometimes we think I need something removed from my life. And God says, actually, what you need is you need something added. And sometimes I think I need something added to my life. And I ask for that kind of stuff all the time. And God says, actually, what you need is something removed. I've thought about this You know how we'll often look back and look at all the times we prayed and then God answered prayer and it was amazing and and wonderful. Think about all the times looking back where you asked for something and and God didn't answer it and you realize, oh my gosh, God is so good to me. If I got everything I asked for, my life would be destroyed, right? Isn't that true? Amazing. So pray honestly, yes, but also... Pray submissively. And then finally, Jesus, he prayed honestly, he prayed submissively, but look at this. Jesus prayed desperately, refusing to give up the struggle, even in the face of extreme agony. Hematodrosis. Hematodrosis is a rare medical condition where the blood vessels, the tiny little blood vessels around your sweat glands, swell in situations of extreme stress or agony, and they swell to the point where they burst, causing blood to mix with sweat. And this is what happened to Jesus because of the agony. And I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I would go to the doctor, all right? I would be at Carl Kaluza's doorstep in one second. What's happening to me? But that's not what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus did. Look at verse 44. Do you know how Jesus responded to this? He prayed even more fervently. Being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. He didn't give up. He didn't run. He didn't flee. Friends, sometimes prayer is just really hard work. It's just hard. And that's okay. Just because something is really hard does not mean it's wrong or it's not working. Sometimes when you're praying, you're just going to have to Sweat and exert energy and remain focused and never give up. Jesus prayed in that moment as if his life depended on it. And sometimes those are the greatest moments of prayer. It's really interesting, like, you read different commentaries and you read different scholars, and there are some scholars who actually... Sort of observe you know Jesus did not die, and he didn 't really handle this in a very dignified way <laughs> in ancient culture when when you were a martyr about to face death, one of their sort of their like sort of their core values was to face death with dignity, and you walk in composed because you 're dying for a cause and here 's Jesus literally falling apart, and people have said, Wow, like, and the reason for this is because. In our modern modern human way of thinking, all we're able to see is the physical suffering, but Jesus was not sweating blood because of what was coming to him physically. Jesus was sweating blood because of what was coming into his life spiritually. He sweat blood because he knew, I will take the cup of God's just wrath for sin and I will drink the entire cup. He sweat blood because he would become the forsaken one. He would, he who knew no sin would become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And Jesus knew it. He would be forsaken. He would become the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. And in that moment of agony, the blood vessels around his sweat glands burst. Amazing. He didn't flee. Friends, prayer is hard work. And what I want you to know is don't be surprised. Follow the example of Jesus. Follow his example. Pray honestly. Pray submissively. Pray fervently. And in a moment, we're going to do that together. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But I I want to read out this passage, so here's what I'm going to do. Will you just look for a moment with me at verses 47 to 53? Now, what's happening in this next section is some pretty critical events are going to happen that need to happen in order for Jesus to end up on trial. He's going to be betrayed by Judas, and he's going to be arrested. But here's the thing. You're supposed to read what we're about to read in the context of what just happened in the garden. Jesus has prayed and the disciples have fallen asleep. And now you're gonna see the contrast in how each of them navigate what happens next. So pay attention. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? In ancient culture, a kiss was a, it was the warmest, most personal greeting you could give to like a close friend, someone that you were really, really close with. And Judas chooses the way of betrayal. I think that moment when Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? I think this was his last gracious attempt to grab Judas's heart. Are you sure you wanna do this? I don't think it was angry or mixed with vitriol. I think it was this moment of Judas, are you really doing this? Are you really doing this? Think of the composure Jesus had. Why? Because he'd prayed in the garden. And when those who were around him, this is the disciples, saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant, this is Peter, by the way, of the high priest, and he cut off his ear. By the way, scholars tell us Peter was almost certainly aiming right down the middle of his head. So not only is he reactionary, he's also a very bad aim, okay? <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the ear goes off, and look what Jesus says. So Peter, who had fallen asleep, he's totally unprepared for the moment. And how does Peter respond when trial hits? He pulls out a sword and he tries to kill somebody. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple? You did not lay hands on me. In other words, you could have arrested me so many times over the last week, but you would have had to have done it in public which just shows the character of your hearts and it shows what's happening spiritually. Look at this, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And Jesus goes peacefully. Well, why? He had prayed honestly, he had prayed submissively and he had prayed fervently. And I'd like to recommend it to you this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? And let's take a moment with the Lord. Father, how we, how we thank you Lord for Luke, our narrator, who went out of his way to give us a detailed account. And we know that every single word we just read is it is your word, it's your truth, we are to receive it today with humble faith. And Lord, I want to pray this morning for my brothers and sisters gathered in this place. Because I have a feeling in a room this size, there are some heavy trials happening. I have a feeling in a room this size, there is some serious temptation happening. And you want to help us through, Lord, and we're so thankful. How we pray that we would follow the example of our leader, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he did not avoid your plan your will for him, but he walked headlong into it, Lord. And so we say, thank you for Jesus. And we know Lord, the moment we're about to enjoy together shows us the full power and beauty of Christ's obedience. Not my will be done, but yours. Jesus prayed as he walked to a cross. And so we say thank you, Lord. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Keep.